You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. It's great to see you all. Thanks for coming this morning. And I just want to bring you a, a kind of a short message of encouragement. A short message. It's not too long. And I just feel like, you know, what we've been talking about lately, what Tom's been preaching on, there's a bit of a theme going on right now. There's a bit of a theme. And it's really, it's about lifting our heads in difficult moments. That's what I'm seeing here is that something he's speaking to, uh, to us about is about highlighting and training us and how to focus on him and come back to him even when things feel really difficult. And even when, you know, there might be chaos around us. And it could just be, you know, maybe that there's a situation around you that's really awful. Or it might be something in your mind. You know, struggling with things in our mind. We've been talking a lot about mental health recently. uh, And these things are really, really, you know, in in our minds just now. So where do we go when we're fearful or we're doubting? Quite often, I think, as Christians, we can kind of put on a bit of a facade that everything's fine all the time. Or when we come and we worship, we can feel amazing when we're in church. And be all like, yes, everything's brilliant. But when we go out, you know, when we go back to our jobs and we go back to our homes, you know, and we're really struggling in these moments of big doubts or, or fear, you know, that's when the rubber hits the road, you know. What do we do in those times? So I just want to encourage you in this because I think that, yeah, he's teaching us how to push in and press through these really deep, difficult times. And we've heard about with Paul, Paul says we should rejoice always. Does that mean he's just wandering about, like rejoicing always? Or does it mean that he's learned that even in these trials, how to get to a place of rejoicing? Because he's a real man, he was a real man. And he had the real thoughts and same feelings that we have. So in some of these difficult situations, I think he probably had a process to get to rejoicing. You know, he had to work through what's going on to get to rejoicing. And we see it with Jesus in the garden. You know, he's got to work through something really hefty to get through to the other side. It's not just rejoicing always, but we can get there. So this is kind of a mechanism I can see from Psalms that I think might be able to help us. So we're gonna have a look at a Psalm today and we're gonna see what we can glean and learn from it. So Psalms are really real and they can be quite gritty. And I like that about them because there's a bit of humanity in there about you know really telling God your heart and what's going on. And uh, I think that David gives us a bit of an outline here in Psalm 3. So I'm not quite going to read it yet, but that's what we're going to be turning to. And it's this lament that turns into praise. That's what's happening. And lament means uh, grief or sorrow. It's like a cry of grief or sorrow. That's what it is to lament. And he begins with this focus on how strong his enemies are in the psalm. And he ends in this triumph and truth of who God is and how strong he is. So, you know, you might believe the same things about God at the start of the lament, but it's not, you know, it's not coming together for him. But by the end of the psalm, you know, you can see that his spirits are lifted and he's really remembered who God is and what he believes. So we're just going to have a little bit of context again. I'd like to go to context, find out what's going on here, what's happening, who's writing this, why are they writing this? So let's just, I'm going to give a brief bit of context before we get into the psalm. So as the top line of the psalm suggests, this psalm is written by King David, and he's running away from his son Absalom. I think that's how you say his name. There's probably a better Hebrew pronunciation of that. 
And if you want to read the whole thing later, uh, you can do. And basically, if you pick it up from about 2 Samuel 13-ish, you, you'll get the whole context. But basically, Absalom has killed one of David's other sons. And, uh, and now he's been sowing seeds of doubt in the people of Israel. He's basically he's undermining David's rule and kingship. And he's just saying all these things like, I could judge better and... He, he manages to sow enough doubt among the people of Israel that he eventually says, declares himself as king of Israel. And he just usurps David's rule, basically. So David hears about this, and he hears that he's done this. He hears that the people have lost confidence in him, that his son has now declared himself as king. And he decides that the best thing for him and his family in the palace is to leave the palace in Jerusalem. So he heads away from there, and he heads out, and he's there's this desperation about this situation. It's, it's a really awful situation. And Absalom then, once David leaves, moves in there and kind of takes over. But then he decides that he's also going to chase him down. So he's gone, but he's decided, I'm going to chase down my dad and I'm going to take care of this and just finish it. Um, so you can imagine, you know, David's thoughts in this scenario. It's really, this is a horrendous situation. Uh, and one of the big major pieces of context that I want to bring to this is that the scriptures also tell us how much David loved his son. So even though terrible things have happened and things that you know, maybe he would want to pull away from him, but it continues to tell us his heart for his son. He just, he really loves him. Um, and we can sort of imagine that in this place where somebody's really harmed you, but you still have this immense love for this person. So I just kind of want you to get into this mindset as we go into this psalm. This is where he is. His son is chasing him down. Um, he's, he's, David's left his throne, he's left his home, he's left his town, he's left his people, and he's left the temple. And he's out in the wilderness somewhere and, with his household, and this son, who he loves desperately, is chasing him down, uh, ultimately to destroy him and all the people that are with him. So I imagine, you know, he's feeling deflated, he's feeling exhausted, he's feeling defeated already, probably, because this army is coming with his son. Uh, and I reckon he's just feeling pretty stressed out, to be honest. So that's a state of mind. Are you, are you there? Are you with me? And so David writes this, this song. It's Psalm 3, a psalm of David when he fled Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. So how many folk have found themselves in this exact situation? <laughs> one, one at the back there. Yeah, it's pretty unlikely. But you know what? We can relate. We can relate to this because we've all had times of despair. We've all had times where we feel overwhelmed. It might not be this exact situation, but the severity of it gives us an example of, you know, what he does in this moment, in this really severe situation. I mean, I feel overwhelmed sometimes. 
I feel stressed out sometimes. And, you know, sometimes I feel far away from God. And I'm sure we've all been there, you know. You feel far away from God or that God is far away from you. And it's very hard in those moments where you might be feeling desperately alone. Or you might be feeling that somebody you love deeply has hurt you. Or slandering you, you know, turned their back on you. And that's very hard to work through in those moments. We can feel a real sense of despair when we feel like somebody's thrown us under the bus that we really care about. And we still really care about them and continue to. So we can all relate to some level on David's lament here. Um, And I think that for me, one of the things that's hardest is that in that moment of true despair or doubting or whatever it is that's on you, you, you don't feel like you can even remember why you would want to turn to God. That's the kind of how overtaking it can be. And this is a lament that turns into praise. So he starts off by saying how he feels, you know, and I imagine that he gets on his knees right here and he just starts saying, Lord, everybody is against me. They're surrounding me. You can hear it in the first few lines. It's quite a short psalm, but there's a lot packed in here. They're, everybody's out to get me. They're accusing me. They're saying, there's no salvation for this guy. You know, he's ruined. And once he's told God how he starts to feel, he, how he's feeling, sorry, he starts to remind himself who God is. So he's getting that off of his chest. He's telling God. He doesn't ignore the fact that he feels like this. He tells God what he's feeling. And then he starts to remind himself who God is. And I'm pretty sure that in this moment, he, like I said, maybe doesn't want to do this. You know, he's got to force going through these motions of like, I I know who you are, so I'm going to start to speak this out. So he starts to speak out the truth of who he he knows God to be, a shield around me, my glory, the lifter of my head. So a shield around me, despite the circumstances, he feels the protection if he clings to God. He feels that there's a protection there of God surrounding him because he's seen this historically in his own life. So he's clinging on to those experiences in his past where he's seen God as his shield around him. And he's got deep insight here because I think that he's describing more than physical security. I think he is describing, you know, I want you to protect me in this situation. But I think he's also talking about ultimate security in God for his soul. And we trust in God for our physical security. But the most important thing is that we trust in Jesus as our ultimate eternal security. And it's even if we find ourselves in terrible situations, and we're seeing that with Paul, he's finding himself in terrible situations, but he trusts in God for his eternal security, and that's how he's able to rejoice. And David says, next, my glory, you're my glory. He's working through these things. You're my shield, you're my glory. Even though he's accused, he's stating who God is, that God is his glory. And it's not about him. It's not about this crown that he had on his head. It's not about who people said he is or who he thinks he is. He's reminding himself of his identity in God. And we talked a bit this year about our identity as sons and daughters in God. And this is one of his mechanisms. I'm going to remind myself of who I am in God, that God is my glory. Do you know that God wants to display his glory in you as a believer? Yeah, absolutely. He wants to display his glory in and through you as a follower of Christ. And it's not about being the best looking anymore. You know, you might have been trying that. It's not about being the best performer in your work anymore. 
All these things that depend on our strength to get them done, that people, you know, we feel the weight of people's expectations. It's not about that. Our identity is in God. Our identity is in Christ, the sons and daughters of the Most High. God is your glory, and he wants to display his glory through you. I boast in Christ alone. The next is that he says he's the lifter of my head. I don't necessarily think he feels in this moment that he's lifting my head yet, but he knows that God will lift his head, and he speaks out. He speaks out the truth. He's the lifter of my head. Even though this is a tough situation, David knows that it's God who ultimately will lift his head above the situation to be able to view what's going on and still have peace. So he's been looking into this sort of abyss of despair, but he's saying, God, I know you will raise my head and look above it. And we can do that too because we can believe that God will lift our heads above our own situations when we're in this place of despair or we've got these feelings. Ask him to lift your head above the situation. Ask him to be able to look above it. And if we can remind ourselves that he's able and is above it, and that he's sovereign, we can give it over to God and allow him to lift our heads. Then we can come to a place of rejoicing and have deep joy again in who he is living in me. So there's reminders here. He goes through these reminders. And then we get to verse 5. And this feels like a very small kind of insignificant verse. I lay down and slept. This is like tiny, seems unimportant. But if you remember all the context we work through, think about the position he is. And he says, I lay down and slept. What does that mean? Peace, exactly. This verse is saying that David had peace enough to sleep, despite the fact that he feels completely surrounded by people who want to destroy him. And he's got peace in his spirit enough to lie down. And sometimes these situations, they can rob us of our peace to sleep. We all know that that's been the case, you know. These things can weigh on us so much that we're robbed of our sleep. But really, if we come back to God, if we can manage to push through these things, and we can ask him to rejuvenate us, and we can come to again to a place of rejoicing and peace and trust in God, that we'll have the rest and peace in our spirits to be able to lie down and sleep just knowing that God is in control and that he works all things for our good. And this is not saying that if you can't sleep, you're not trusting God, because people can't sleep for all kinds of reasons, you know, but maybe you're in pain or maybe there's something else that's keeping you up. But the whole point of that verse is just saying that there's a rest and there's a calmness in his spirit that, that allows him to sleep as he trusts yeah. in God. Yeah. And he goes on to write, I woke again for the Lord sustained me. There's so much again in this one line because he's saying, I woke again because God allowed. It's a rich statement. I can sleep even though someone might be trying to get me in my sleep. And I woke again because God sustained me and because he allowed it. God's got me. And again, there's this trust for physical protection, but there's a trust for ultimate protection for his soul. That even if something does happen, I belong to God and that his will be done. He sustained me as I was sleeping. He kept me safe through the night so that I woke again because you allowed and he continues to sustain me. He's given glory back to God in saying that the very air that I breathe when I woke up belongs to you. He's returning God's sovereignty to him. He's, he's putting it back on him. You are sovereign. You, you have everything and you sustain everything in your hands. So it seems like a small statement, but it's a powerful one. 
So he's regained his peace in God's sovereignty. And because of this, in verse 6, he says, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who've set themselves against me all around. I hope this is encouraging you as it encouraged me and lifted my spirits. He goes on in verse 7 to say, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. He's not afraid of them anymore, and he's actually speaking out like, this is what I want to happen to the ones that I think are wicked. So he still says that, but he's not, he's not got fear. There's a boldness now. He's turned in from a lament through praise into a boldness. And then he goes on to say in verse 8, you know, it's not his problem because salvation belongs to the Lord. Amen. You're blessing yeah, the young right. people. And you just see how this whole psalm has turned around from the beginning. The situation has changed. And his whole attitude has changed from being in this place of sort of overwhelming despair and looking in, into this hole, basically. Uh, his whole attitude's changed. And, you know, he's gone from a place of feeling like how strong the enemy is to feeling this ease in his spirit where he could sleep. And if you notice that in the first few verses, he says how his accusers say there's no salvation for this guy. And by the end, he says salvation belongs to the Lord. So from believing a statement, oh, they're saying this about me to, you know what, but salvation belongs to the Lord alone. God alone has the power and authority to save, and it's his will, his will be done. And this is a truth and a promise that we too can trust in, that Jesus is our saviour, our glory, our shield, and it's not about what those people said about you. Those words that cut deep, or that person you love deeply who's turned their back on you. In Christ alone, that's where our confidence is. If we've placed our trust in him, then our ultimate eternal security is also in him. So I just want to bring one final point from this psalm that I'd like to highlight, and that, you know, his attitude's changed, and he finishes, even though he says what he wants to happen to the wicked, the last line he finishes by asking for God's blessing on his people. So who's he talking about? He's not talking about himself here. He's talking about all of Israel. And remember, right now, he's outside. He's basically an outcast in this moment from his people. He's being chased by the army of Israel. And what's his line? God bless your people. So his song goes from lament to a reminder of who God is, to praise, to regain in his peace, and to a prayer for his oppressors as he shifts his eyes off of himself and the despair. He's actually able to pray for these people and ask a blessing on it, all of Israel. What a shift! What a change of perspective. Does the band want to come up again? Just about closing up now. So I just want to encourage you this morning. If, but probably more likely when, you go through these difficult times, despite how much you feel like you don't want to, we've got to force ourselves to turn to God. You've got to, you know, you can cry out to him. Tell him what's going on. But remind yourself through praise who he is and what he's done in your life by his grace. Cling to those things that he's done in your life. It's the most difficult thing in those moments to turn back to God and to speak these things out, but speak out these truths and ask the sustainer, God the sustainer, to lift your head and refresh you with joy and rejoicing despite these circumstances. 
And if you're struggling with something particular this morning, or if you want to respond to anything I've said this morning, please come up after and one or two of the leaders will pray with you. We'd love to pray with you. Or if you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time, if you want to understand what we've been singing about, or oh, the blood of the Lamb, maybe that doesn't make any sense to you, please come and speak to us. We'd love to introduce you to Jesus. And we'd love to pray with you. Bless you guys.